Hello, and welcome to Sights and Sirens Back to Basic Podcast. My name is Dr. Christopher Sights. I'm an emergency physician, and I'm here with my brother, Jason Sights, who is a firefighter, paramedic, and RN. Together, we run Sights and Sirens, an emergency preparedness training company. Sights and Sirens is a National American Heart Association training center and EMS training company that specializes in NREMT exam prep. Our Back to Basics podcast was created to make what are sometimes complex medical topics easy to understand and retain for students of emergency care. Please like and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming service, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. This is the third date? Yeah. Walked right out of the theater. Never saw her again. Just because she called it Reese's Pieces? It's common English. It's pieces. The man was named H.B. Reese. They're his pieces. Pieces isn't even a word. We're talking about candy, not a horoscope. Here. Okay. All right. I mean, fair. Absolutely unacceptable. Deal breaker, I guess. So. Well, hello and welcome to Sights and Sirens, a Back to Basics podcast, where I, a paramedic nurse, and my brother here, Chris, uh, ER physician, talk about uh, what may seem like complex medical issues, and we break it down into the basics and have a little fun doing it. So, Chris, why don't you introduce our sponsors today? All right, yeah. So, today's sponsor is Rapid Rescue. Rapid Rescue is an EMS training company that does AHA courses like we do, uh, but they also are doing EMT and paramedic refresher courses through JB Learning. So, if you actually enroll in our program for NRA, EMT prep, you get access to their refresher program through JB Learning. So today, topic I want to talk about is amputations. Um, and the reason I want to talk about this is that I think it can be a very intimidating, uh, not topic, because it's kind of an exciting topic. I think sometimes we enjoy getting into these kind of things in uh, EMS and emergency medicine. Yeah. But it can be a very intimidating situation. Um, I've experienced this of multiple times in my career so far as an ER physician, but it, it never fails to be intimidating when someone walks in usually they don't walk in usually you bring them in but somebody brings them in and, you know and there's a there's an amputation of an arm a leg that sort of thing it, it's it's uh kind of surreal i think a lot of a lot of cases but uh i want to talk about how maybe that intimidation and that what seems like a complex situation could actually be really basic for us because the management is going to be pretty basic so i'll start with a little bit of a story so this was a case i had and like i said kind of talking about how this is an intimidating situation to be and i was working at a emergency department in new hampshire uh and this was kind of like up near the white mountains like area um so we didn't have a lot of transport opportunities. We flew a lot of people out of this facility because, like I said, there was no real good way to ground transport people. It took a long time because the EMS ground transport would have to go around all the mountains and stuff. So it was easier to fly a lot of people out. We had decent resources at the, this facility, but it was a smaller facility. See, to me, when you say that, I, you know, we're from the Midwest, like to me, it makes it sound like they needed like take the Oregon trail or something like when you say like they can't really navigate the mountains we need well, to fly them it's just, no, but you know what I mean? like it makes they, it sound like this is just surrounded by mountains and they had to like prep for the journey in like a covered wagon okay, okay. they don't have covered wagons but yeah I mean it's kind of like this this hospital is kind of surrounded by mountainous areas mm-hmm. so it just takes a lot longer to drive anybody out of there yeah, than yeah. it is to fly them out so we flew a lot of people out of there when we needed to transport we had pretty good resources but um as the emergency physician, when I worked, I was the only physician on. So I was the only emergency physician on. We had other physicians in the hospital. Uh, some of them kind of came and went certain days of the week. So you never really knew exactly what services you had on different days, um, which, again, can kind of be intimidating in and of itself because it's kind of just you. Obviously, you've got a team of nurses and stuff like that as well. But I got a call from EMS. We came over the radio that we had a 23 year old female coming in from the local factory um, and even EMS, you could hear in their voices were like pretty panicked calling this in. And they said, we have a complete 
complete amputation of the left arm on uh, it was below the elbow we have a complete amputation of the left arm uh we're bringing the patient in tourniquet is in place and we're bringing the arm now i i'll tell you what resources i knew i didn't have and that was the ability to put an arm back on right so this is like this is a very you know obviously these kind of surgeries and we'll talk a little bit about it but they're very complex so i know right off the bat I don't have someone who can put an arm back on. Right. right? Obviously, that's not going to be my job. So either way, this person's going to have to fly out. Um, and then the arm, you'll have to ship out USPS. USB, FedEx. We always FedEx those. Uh, yeah. No. So again, immediately I'm thinking like, what am I going to do? What am I as an emergency physician? I can do a lot of things, but what am I going to do with this amputated arm? I mean, like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. So I immediately talked to um, our not our transport team, but like our transport coordinators. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Hey, you know, get, get a helicopter ready. No matter what happens, this, she's got to go, right. Mm-hmm. If we want yeah. any chance of this being six, a successful outcome, she's going to have to go somewhere else for that continued care. I'm going to have to stabilize her. Now, what's cool about this too, is that I immediately, I'm glad I did, but I immediately thought to myself, okay, I don't know what resources I have, but let's figure out what I have. Do I have anyone? So I, I immediately talked to our, um, not secretary, but our coordinator that helps kind of, you know, figure out what's going on in the hospital for me as the mm-hmm. ER doctor. And I said, who do we have? Who is here? Anybody <laughs> <laughs> who is here that might be able to help me with this? Do we have a, a regular surgeon, a vascular surgeon? Do we have a trauma surgeon? Do we some, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. need some support here. And I was so lucky that she's like, well, actually we have a, and I think he was a vascular surgeon. But he had also served like two two tours in like Afghanistan. Oh, wow. I was like, yes, I want that's that the guy. guy. That's <laughs> the guy I want. If anybody knows how to bring take care of this, bring him. So, sure. so we call him and like I said, such a blessing that he was available and came and assist me with this. But um, this this so this girl comes in. They've got her on the stretcher and she's really not. I mean, they've given her some fentanyl, but she's really not freaking out the way you would ex- you would think someone would be just freaking out and in terrible pain and all this kind of stuff. She's got a tourniquet on that left arm. Um, like I said, the arm's completely gone. There's some like bone and tissue hanging out. And then in a cooler thing, they have the arm. Oh yeah. So, God. right. Yeah. It's, it's like really, this is, this is super intimidating. So at least they again, had a cooler. I'll tell you right now, like in my, we don't have a cooler in our ambulance for that sort of right. thing. So I'd be like, and we don't have like an ice machine. I'd have to be like, someone give me some ice. Like, yeah. I don't even know. Right. And we'll talk about how to preserve that limb too. Yeah. A bio bag. Something (laughs) like like that. That's weird, man. And that's the thing. And that's why I want to talk about it today because I, I think I spend some time thinking about what would this happen? If I, if this crazy thing happened, what would I do? And that really helps. That really helps my career. So if you've never seen an amputation before, you're listening to our podcast, let this be the time that you stop and think to yourself, what do I have in my ambulance? What do I have in my facility? What would I do in this situation? And hopefully we'll be able to give you some tips on like, it's really more simple than you think. (laughs) Again, the situation itself though is super intimidating, super. So she, you know, she pulls in. So obviously the first thing we do is we get a set of vitals. Her vitals are stable. Um, I look at the arm because how do you not, yeah. <laughs> there's no reason for me to look at the arm at that point, but I was just like, can I see it? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? but so I looked at the arm and then, yeah, it's um, off. It's off. Yeah, that, that's, that's an arm for sure. And again, what a surreal thing to just like literally look at like, you know, what? someone's arm lane. I talked to our sister about this recently and she, she's like, she watches, you talked to 
Skender about our sister. No, not about amputations. Just oh, okay. about tra- like traumas <laughs> okay. like this in general. Gotcha, she gotcha. was asking about I don't know. She's watching Chicago Fire or something or something, and she was basically saying like, "Oh, like that. That's like it looks fake though, right? Like that doesn't look anything like that." <laughs> and like my response is, "No, like it does. Like it looks fake. Yeah, it looks faker on scene than it does in the movies to me. Like, mm-hmm. and you have like this like block you got to push through when you see trauma like that because yeah. it's just, you're just sort of like ah, that looks like a horror movie thing, and you're like, well, either horror movies are nailing it or real." <laughs> Like, yeah, I mean, so yeah, it, it is kind of freaky and it yeah. does look very much like you'd sort of think it would look, you know, it's mm-hmm. not this big different thing, but uh, it, it almost to me, like my mind just like tells me it's fake every time. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah. There's a the, kind of like that separation between I'll even in trauma situations that I see as an emergency physician. I think I'm just in a clinical context, so I don't really have a problem with them. You know what I mean? Even with like death and things like that, there's a little, not, not a block, but you, you compartmentalize a little bit. Okay, this is, you expect to see that in that situation. Mm-hmm. But then like if I watch a movie that does, sometimes I'll get queasy. Like I don't get queasy in person yeah. in a real trauma, but I'll watch a movie because you're, you're detached, you're pulled away from it. You're not in the moment yeah. taking care of that person and patient. So, so this arm is, you know, they've got this arm in a bag. It looks fake, but also it's just, yeah, kind of surreal. Um, the mechanism. So what happened to this girl is that she was working with some and I'm not familiar with the machinery exactly. But what it sounds like is it was a piece of machinery where you kind of like fed paper and products into it. So she had a like a leather glove on and she was feeding it into this like compression mechanism thing. And the, it caught the glove Pull her whole and arm. it pulled her whole, whole yeah. arm in. So it kind of like tore the arm from the, so it wasn't like some nice clean cut. It was like, again, that she had like pieces of bone sticking out, pieces of muscle again. And I'm like, you know what, what do I do? So she's got the tourniquet on. The first thing I do is I say, okay, well, let's take down the tourniquet to see where we're at the field at this point. When I say field, I mean like the, the amputated arm, the the part that's still attached to her. There's no, there's no no active bleeding. bleeding. She's got a tourniquet in place. I'm like, I'm going to take the tourniquet down. Before you go on, let me just preface this by saying as, as emergency providers, as pre-hospital providers, we will never do this. You will never take it. As soon as a tourniquet goes on, we're never going to take it off. So Mm -hmm. don't listen to Chris's story here. Don't take it to like, oh, this is what I'll do. Okay. Because we will never take a tourniquet off whether we think bleeding's done and we're good to go or not. We do not have the ability to do that unless we're given direct orders by a doc to do it. No, very good so. point. And we'll talk about tourniquet use here too, because as a part of this, the management of these types of things. But yeah, so I mean, and again, when I say I took the tourniquet down, it wasn't that I just willy nilly like unscrewed the thing well, and yeah. let it go. I mean, I waited like the vascular surgeon had now gotten here. Yeah, you're allowed we to do this a sort bunch of, stuff, of we, yeah. well, we had got a bunch of stuff ready. I mean, even I'm not going to just take it down without being ready to intervene on what I find. Right. And I think that was kind of my, so I don't, you know, the, the tourniquet's in place, it's doing its job. But now I need to see, especially since I'm going to transport this person in a helicopter, I don't want the second EMS team on the helicopter running into issues that I can deal with here in, mm-hmm. a, in a controlled environment. So we've yeah. got all of our surgical equipment. We've got all of our, everything. We take the tourniquet down. And the amazing thing is that we take the tourniquet down and nothing happens. It doesn't start squirting blood everywhere. There's it really barely it starts oozing a little bit like the capillaries and like the skin tissue starts to ooze a little bit of blood. But everything's fine. Which is 
also crazy yeah, to me. Yeah. And I'll talk, we'll, we can talk a little bit about that as well, but it's like the body does a really good job. I mean, you got to imagine she's got her radial ulnar arteries like completely yeah. severed through. They have essentially retracted and collapsed down and they're not bleeding. Right. So one cool thing, and this is one of the reasons I'm glad I had the vascular surgeon there because I think I would be comfortable doing this next time. But he said, he's like, you know, obviously this guy's seen amputations. Most of our research about amputations, how to manage amputations comes from the military, comes from Afghanistan, Iraq, all these kind of places. I mean, that's where we test out a lot of our theories of what, you know, trauma quick, medicine, quick clot and these yeah. things and all this kind of stuff comes from there. So he's obviously seen this much more than I have. And he was saying, hey, you know what, if we're going to transport her, let's go find that radial artery and we'll tie it off so it doesn't start bleeding later on. Oh, just right. the idea of doing that sounds Ex- a awesome B right. terrifying. Right. No, and that's the thing is like, and now like having been, ex- having experienced that with him there, I'm like, okay, like I, I would think to do this next time or I might be able to do it. So, so, you know, we, we didn't even really have to numb up her arm because all the, all because the it was nerve, off. Well, that part, no, we didn't have to numb that. Part. <laughs> no, but I mean, like we didn't have to numb up the part that was still like part of her arm that was still there because all the nerves have been severed as well. So like, wow, is it, it's not that kind of pain, yeah, right? It's, it's yeah. so super weird. So we go, you know, we get some forceps and stuff and go in there and, and he finds the radial artery. And, and you, the way you find it is that it, it's the one strand of thing that's pulsing. Right. <laughs> We're done. We're done for the day. <laughs> no, so we find this pulsing vessel and he like you yep. know ties it off with some suture so that if EMS so that EMS doesn't run into issues later on. Right. Because we don't want that to like all of a sudden open up and start bleeding during transport. Sure, that would sure. be pretty extreme. So um so that's pretty much all we do, right? So we do this. She's hemodynamically stable. Um, we get the helicopter team in. Um, obviously, we started on some antibiotics and stuff like this. The limb itself has been, and we'll talk about how to take care of these limbs, but it, EMS did a good job with that. So we just kind of leave that. We did x-ray both her part of the arm still on her and the part of her arm that wasn't on her. Like we oh, x-rayed that what? too. That technician had to just take the arm and <laughs> yeah, set, it, set the it in the thing to take oh an x-ray. Oh my gosh, that's so yeah. weird. So we x-rayed both of those. Um, obviously I call another facility to let them know and we transferred her. Obviously this is very rapid transfer. This whole thing happened within like 30 minutes. She came in, we did all this stuff. Yeah. IVs, all the good, you know, and then got She's her. She's flying away. Yeah, flying away because wow. you have, you don't have that much time to put that arm back on. Sure. And she's a young 20 some year old female. Like we're, this is her dominant hand too. This is like her oh, right wow. hand. Yeah, yeah. So even more so like we're going to do everything we can to reattach this arm. So that's the story, you know, Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, um, and obviously like, well, no, I might have a picture of this. I can show you later. Okay. You're Sounds not good. allowed to take pictures of this stuff. So <laughs> and like, and you're going to find that at www.sitesandsites.com. <laughs> no, 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 no one else can find this picture. Ill gross. <laughs> <laughs> check it out. I'm like, I'm like, check out my OnlyFans page where you can see <laughs> oh, so, so, um, But anyway, again, so I, I wanted to talk about this today because it, one, it's not something we see very often. It's also this huge traumatic injury that can be very intimidating, very surreal. Seems like what am I going to do? And I felt this, right? What am I going to do in this situation? And then really what it boils down to it, the management from an emergency standpoint, it's really, really straightforward. Yeah, it's really straightforward stuff. and simple. So again, if you've never seen an amputation before, if you've never dealt with this, this is your chance to stop and think, okay, what would I do? Right. And so hopefully if you ever do experience this, uh, for, if, you're, if you're listening or you know, you're in EMS or you're a nurse or you're a doctor who's listening to this, this is your chance again to kind of say, okay, what would I do in that situation? So hopefully it's not as terrifying for you if it, if it happens. Yeah. So 
The first thing I want to touch base on, and maybe you can speak to this, is that just the different types of amputation. I, I was telling you about her mechanism where her arm kind of like almost got pulled. So there's a couple different ways things can amputate, right? Yeah. So you want to hit on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you said you're in the mountains. Like when you started the story, you're like, you're in the mountains. I'm thinking like, oh, this is like a ski accident or like some like a bear sure. attacked her. And then of course, it's like what it almost always is. It's some sort of industrial, you yeah. know, it's like human made device causes the amputation. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. our father worked in a community that had like a, a butcher's shop. And I guess so he ran on like clean amputations all the time where they like accidentally like took the hand oh with it gosh. and stuff. So so there are lots of different types of amputations. There's, I mean, lots, but there's lots of different presentations, you could say. But typically, we divide them up into, you can have like a partial amputation where it's not cut clean through. You can have a clean cut, uh, full amputation where it's, it's sliced right down. You can have things like partial crushes and crush injuries. And that's where we start to run into some complications. Like it's a lot harder for you to find that vessel and tie off. It's a lot harder for you to attach a limb that where we've experienced crushing force. And now we have amputation of tissue, uh, alongside of that. And yeah, so there's, there's like the clean through and through, those are, you know, so those, we say clean. It means like a clean cut, essentially. Mm-hmm. Those actually end up being cleaner, <laughs> like literally yeah. like in the sense that, you know, it's a quick blade through, you know, through the tissue. There's not as much surface area or opportunity for bacteria and things to get in there. Um, then again, like you said, the crush injury one. So the, like the limb gets crushed and then also like through that crushing mechanism, it's, it's essentially amputated. That's way harder. So now you're not talking about just reconnecting vessels and muscles and and tissue together to put that back on. You're talking about all the damage that it's occurred to that crushed piece, all the micro, you know, damages to the vessels and the nerves and the tissues. That's going to be much harder. Infection risk, depending on how long were they like trapped under this thing or what was the crushing force like? And Mm -hmm. then you've got the toxicity of the body itself with with uh, compartment syndrome and things like that, which I think we should do another episode sometime soon about just kind of talking about compartment syndrome and crush injuries and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, lots of complications. with those. And then the same thing, kind of her mechanism is this like tearing. So she had kind of like a crush and tear was literally like torn from the limb. Rough. Even more so, very difficult to, to reattach these limbs. You're talking about like infection rate and, and there's a lot more has to be done in order to like you can't just leave that either. Right. Like even yeah. if you're going to not replace that arm, you've got pieces of bone and that's got to well, be yeah, that's like why you're x-raying down. right you're x-raying the limb and you're x-raying the, the the torso what's what's left yeah yeah just so you can deal with all these secondary issues that you're gonna have to deal with in the future right you know? exactly so, so different types of of mechanisms here that can occur but management again it, like taking it back to basics management of amputations is very straightforward and very simple from an emergency standpoint. Like I'm not the one who's tying all these vessels back together, trying to get this functioning arm to, to work. I'm the one stabilizing the patient. Stabilization is, again, pretty straightforward. And it's going to start with bleeding control. Right. So when we do treatments, a lot of times what we're doing is we're helping the body help itself. So to really understand bleeding control, I think we need to talk about hemodynamics first, sure. like what happens in the body, right? So if I were to cut off your arm, 
what happens in, in the vessel? There's a couple things, right? First and foremost, the vessels know to start to spasm, right? Mm-hmm. They clamp down, they spasm themselves so that the that the hole will get smaller and it will stem the loss of blood. And that's out essentially of the body. Like, what, that's what happened to that radial artery, right? right. You took big the vessel off. It was it did it itself. It, it had spasmed clamped. down and like like cl- you know and yeah. retracted a little bit, so it it stopped itself from bleeding. And this is how many minutes later after transport and stuff. So this, yeah. these mechanisms last a long time, yeah. and a lot of like when we put a tourniquet on we're assisting that clamp down method that our body's already doing right we're helping that out Mm -hmm. so we're never going to beat the body at healing itself right we're never going to get better at it than the body already is set up to do but we can help those uh those mechanisms and, and improve outcomes with that so there's the clamp down and then there's also a clot formation, right? And mm-hmm. this is a process. Hemodynamics take take some time to understand, but this is a process. But but basically, what starts to happen is you have, um, you know, breakdown of fibrinogen. You you get the creation of fibrin. You you start to get that mesh network that covers a vessel. And then the platelets we know do what platelets do best. They start to get sticky, and they kind of get caught on that net, and they create a clot, a good clot, not a bad mm-hmm. one like yeah. we usually talk about, but a good clot that's going to block off the vessel and, and stop the the blood flow it's basically like a micro scab right it's happening on a microscopic level but it's scabbing over to prevent blood flow out so if we have to compare those two mechanisms and our treatments for each or, or treatments that help each tourniqueting is like that clamp down and putting direct pressure is like helping that clot right mm-hmm. yeah there's two things we do. Initially, our first response to anything is going to be start putting pressure on it because it's just what we can get to the fastest, right? So even if it's an amputation, I know you're thinking we got to tourniquet it. Absolutely. But you don't have a tourniquet in your hand when you walk up to walk up to the scene. You have your gloved hands, though, and you can start putting direct pressure. So direct pressure. First and foremost, we're going to start putting pressure on that wound, whatever wherever the bleeding is. And people underestimate how effective direct pressure is even in like a surgical situation. So let's say I had taken that tourniquet down and her radial arteries started just squirting blood at me. Literally all it takes is for me to re- just just to grab that thing, right? Just like pinch right. that vessel or like put direct pressure like with my one finger. We always teach that too. I mean, when we teach bleeding control, we teach like using two hands to really block that thing. If you can do it with one finger though, that's actually more effective because if you can really pinpoint where that bleeding is with one finger and stop it holding pressure with just one finger is enough to save someone's life right because they're not going to bleed out especially these vessels that you know these muscular vessels that are really pumping like arteries and stuff you'd be amazed at just just that is a life-saving intervention right when we when we teach stop the bleed classes and, and trauma classes the first thing that we teach is kind of evaluate the wound take a look at the wound Try to find the source of the most bleeding because there might be multiple vessels that are cut and they're all bleeding different ways, but try to stem the flow where it's worst first, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And we start by direct pressure. We we want to try to, if we can, get some gauze or some some sort of clean thing to put direct pressure. And we can even start to pack wounds if if we're in like a, a more transitional area where it's not a limb and we're dealing with like a shoulder or a mm-hmm. groin wound where we obviously can't tourniquet that, right? What are you going to tourniquet the waist? Are you going to tourniquet the neck for a head wound? Right. right. No, all, all that you can do there is pack that wound. So we start to kind of push gauze down into that. And so that seems like very anti-shoving things in there seems like a bad idea, right? But remember, Remember, these are relatively clean things, and we are also dealing with a life-threatening situation. This is quite literally life over whim. So mm-hmm. hemodynamics, we got to understand. It's clamping down. 
and it's it's creating a clot. When we put pressure, we're helping with both of that. We're helping it clamp by putting direct pressure on it. And we do this like CPR position, lock your elbows. You know, we want to Hard put pressure. pressure on this thing. It's not going away once we put it. As much as like I've done this, you know, on scenes where you're like, is it working? And you like take your hands off and look. Right, like, right. Well, you just, any clots that you just helped form just busted from the blood flow and you just ruined the whole thing, right? So we can't And that goes that. back to what you said about the tourniquet thing too. So the, so the second thing we're going to do is we're going to place a tourniquet, right? Um, and we can talk about like how to place that tourniquet appropriately. But once you place that tourniquet and you crank that thing down and you get the bleeding to stop, you leave it, yeah. right? You just, you, you don't, you don't check later on because the whole process of clotting and everything starts right back over as soon as we let that thing start bleeding again. Right. So that's why it's really important to write down the time that you put the tourniquet. That's why these tourniquets have a space for you with a marker to write down what time did you put it on there? Because they're, you'd actually be surprised how long you can leave a tourniquet on for, but we need to know, we don't want it to be too long. So mm-hmm. we need, we do need to know so that when the, when the patient, excuse me, comes to me as the emergency physician or the surgeon, we can say, okay, this tourniquet has been on for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. There are some time frames that we want to release some of that pressure so we don't cause more damage. But that's a you thing. It's not a me exactly. thing. And that's the problem with, I think, tourniquet education is it got a little bit of a bad rap. We didn't really realize how useful these things were until we had some wars in the Middle East and we started dealing with a lot of because tourniquets got left on for longer than we thought was right. appropriate. And things turned out just fine. And I think the stat, and I'm sure I'll get corrected by this again, internet, I challenge you to correct me, but I believe it is there's no, there has never been a issue with losing, like getting necrosis and losing a limb from like a, like a bullet wound that we tourniquet. Mm Mm-hmm. Even when that tourniquet's been left on for, I think it's up to two hours. So like we're taught sense. this initially, and we might get taught in like an old school way where it's like, no, like tourniquets are bad, especially in nursing. That it takes a little time to, for nursing to catch up. But nursing education is still like, no, tourniquets are bad. You don't want to put a tourniquet on because what if they lose the limb? Well, what's the first of all? What's the alternative? What if they lose their life because they're bleeding out? Right, I'm putting right. a tourniquet on, you know. Yeah, and uh, all that tourniquet research does come out of the military. So so much so, and it's I mean. It's used so much in that regard that now a lot of our military, I know special forces especially, literally the fatigues and what they they have tourniquets built, built into in, them. Yep, you just twist both arms yep. and both legs. With the idea is that if you know if you're my you know you're my buddy and you go down, I can crawl up to you and just the tourniquet's already on you. I just I just twist it to stop bleeding. Yep. They really are extremely effective, and we should be using them for these types of things. So just quick review on tourniquet yeah, application. Please, yeah. We want to do uh, about about two inches. Um, on the, on the body side of, of the injury, right? right? So about two inches away from the injury, proximal, to yeah, the proximal injury, to yeah. the injury, and we want to cut that that blood flow off. We need to twist this thing until the blood stops. We don't twist until it hurts. We don't twist until it slows down a little bit. We're twisting this tourniquet until it stops. The blood is is done. If we've twisted it as tight as we possibly can go and the bleeding still hasn't stopped, this would be a very rare case. Mm -hmm. We can apply another tourniquet proximal to that one two inches away and cut it off more. And we're just kind of working on systematically clamping off and, and pressuring down on that vessel and collapsing it. We're taking the bone... And we're taking the tourniquet and we're smushing the vessel between the bone and the tourniquet, which is why it's got to be done on limbs. Um, the other thing is 
if you've ever put one of these things on the patient, it is not a fun experience for the patient at all. I'm surprised that I'm not surprised at all that these guys gave fentanyl to this lady. Right. I'm very surprised that she wasn't in more pain, not from the amputation, but from the tourniquet itself. Tourniquets mm-hmm. are incredibly painful when they get put on. Your, your patient will start to scream. Guaranteed, when you initially put this on, your patient will start to scream. And I think it's a hard thing as providers because we're used to making things better and pain makes us think things are going worse. It's hard for us to continue to crank down on that thing. You know, yeah. I mean, no one gets any pleasure in doing that. And if you do, you shouldn't be in this field. Right. right? So if you're cranking it down, they start to scream. You want to stop or go easy. And you just can't afford to do that because we're in a life or limb situation. And we have to be able to save that life. It's, we have a major bleed here from this amputation. We have to stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Just keep that in mind. Like it's it's not going to be a fun experience for them. It doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It, it it's doing its job. It's difficult, but we got to crank it down, and it's going to be very painful. Which is why, if you're a medic or an advanced EMT that can give pain medication, we certainly want to be giving pain medication as soon as we can right. to try to treat that pain. No, definitely. And like I said, then the other the other caveat there is, like I said, once that thing is in place, we're going to leave it in place from an EMS standpoint. And again, we're going to document the time that we put that on. And when you said, so going back to what you had said about the, the two hour thing, that makes sense because when we do, um, when I was in medical school and we would in a residency and I would scrub for surgeries, if we were doing like a repair on an arm or a leg, a lot of times they would tourniquet these things in surgery so that they had a clear feel. Cause you can't, it's hard to operate on something that's bleeding all over on you. Mm-hmm. So they would tourniquet these things down and they would leave that for 30, 40, 50, 60 yeah. minutes before they would be like, okay, we'll release the pressure a little bit. So yeah, I mean, it, you'd be surprised how long you can go. And the other thing that this makes sense is this woman, this girl that I was, that I had this patient, she did have that limb reattached well, that limb was not attached for a good two or three hours. So the limb can be completely unattached for two or three hours and then go back on. And it, it depends on what limb. I want to say like for her arm, it was like an hour and a half is how much we time we had or so, something mm-hmm. like within. And that was for re-implantation. That was for putting the arm back on. Yeah. Well, if that can happen within an hour and a half. Then a tourniquet, you know can what I mean? Like cutting off that blood because there's still time. some micro blood flow occurring, you know, yeah. probably in that case. So, so yeah. So again, going back to, you know, going back to the basics of bleeding control, we're going to do direct pressure. And then especially for these amputations, we're going to go to tourniquet and we're not going to delay that tourniquet. Like you said, it is very much the research shows that tourniquet use is important and needs to be done. We should be going for it immediately. Yeah. Old school was you start with some pressure and then you elevate and then you push on pressure points and then you mm. think about, OK, I guess I can risk a turn. Now it's like you see an amputation, throw a tourniquet on right away. You yeah, don't have to. Yeah. You, if you've got it still, ready to go, like, you don't I have to I, jump. Like the with textbook pressure. still might re- recommend like pressure and elevation and then tourniquet use. But the whole pressure point thing, I haven't really seen that no, that's in a cool. long time. And the pressure and elevation are like things that go together. Like right. when we're putting pressure, if it's a limb, we can be elevating it at the same mm-hmm. time. It's not like we try this and then we, oh, that doesn't work. We move on to this next thing. It's not this systematic thing. We're going to jump right in and, and get it going. Exactly. So the next thing, so once we've got that bleeding control, so we've done direct pressure, we've done tourniquet use, the next thing we're going to do is make sure that we're hemodynamically supporting this patient. So how much blood did they lose? That sort of thing. So we're going to be looking at things like their vital signs. Are they super tachycardic? Is their blood pressure low? If it is, obviously, we're going to get fluids, right? We're going to get IV access two large bore IVs if we can. And we're going to start giving fluid resuscitation. A lot of the research out of the military for these amputations, things have also shown that we probably should be considering whole blood transfusion or giving whole blood um, earlier, 
than we would normally in, in someone else who's hemodynamically unstable. So when I say hemodynamically unstable, I mean their blood pressure is low. And we're not going to wait for them to start getting worse and now give them the blood. In this right. type of situation, we'll give them the blood pretty early, even though even though they're kind of maybe they're tacking away or their 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 blood pressure is fine. We're going to start we start loading consider, them up with blood we're early. considering it early. So if you start to give fluids and their blood pressure is not responding, giving them blood blood earlier on is is not a bad idea. Now a lot of the people listening, you know, maybe you guys don't have access to blood. I don't. Do you guys have access? We don't have blood. Yeah. So no. a lot of EMS agencies do not. Um, but it's just something to keep in mind. Um. They said if you've got longer transport times and you do guys do carry whole blood when it comes to amputations, if you're having any trouble with hemodynamics with just fluid resuscitation, think about whole blood blood transfusion earlier on. It would be very common for the the helicopter crew would probably yes. have a trauma nurse and a, mm-hmm. and a helo medic, and they, they would be trained in under the nurse's licensure to be able to give that that blood product. So they're probably and there's an example of an EMS crew, if you will, because the nurse is acting as EMS as well. Right. Who, who can give whole blood product and get going. So exactly. They'll, they'll do that for exactly. sure. Exactly. So we've got this amputated limb and all we've done is stop the bleed. Right. Direct pressure, tourniquet use. We're going to give them fluids and blood. That's it. It's boring, Pain. man. It's right. boring. You know, you it's know? like very exciting to watch. It's really boring to do. Yeah, like, exactly. I'm just done. And that, they said, so again, like the, the this situation that can be extremely intimidating and terrifying when you really bring it back to basics, it's pretty straightforward management, right? Pain control, obviously, we need to consider for people who do super long transport times, IV antibiotics is probably something we're going to give a dose of and things like that, too. Um how do we transport the limb? We do want to touch on that. Yeah, quick. so that was so, so, so we, we figured out how to stabilize that patient. Pretty straightforward. We do have this l- limb, though. What are pieces what do, of a limb or whatever? What right? do we do with that? Right. So what we're trained is you, you bag it. You then put that bag in a bag, and the second bag should be full of ice. <laughs> so you never put ice directly on the on the limb at all, mm-hmm. and you you want that basically there to be a barrier of a of a bag. Uh, preventing direct ice exposure to the limb itself. So that's why you're going to double bag it and put ice in the, in the bigger bag. Right. Or put it in milk. No, that's for a tooth. Okay. No. Oh, good point. Yeah, don't put it in. <laughs> okay. so, hey, like I soaked this in, in 2%. Is this, is this R going to be <laughs> okay? He's like, what have you done? <laughs> no, but that's a good point though. Like we don't want to get limbs wet and we want to try to keep limbs as dry as possible. Mm-hmm. That's why we don't want the direct ice contact. We don't want it to freeze the tissue in any way or damage cause necrosis. So, And those are the two big things. So you want to keep it dry. So obviously sterile goes without saying. We want to be as stale as we can. Now this limb might be not sterile right. looking but we're we don't really deal be, with sterile we deal with clean so right. <laughs> that's yeah. what we're gonna try yeah. to do. we want to be as sterile as we can as clean as we can so we're gonna be obviously handling this with gloves we're gonna be using as much as we can like you know sterilized bags and things like that the two things we want to avoid and that you touched on is one direct contact with ice because if we have a direct contact with ice then the tissue freezes and then that that tissue is pretty much damaged and and can't be repaired so we don't want to directly freeze that at all we also don't want the limb to get wet because like you said if it gets if it's if it's soaking wet and we put it on ice or we put it in water or something like that and it gets wet well then that tissue becomes all emaciated and again it's it's not something we can do anything with at that point so we want to keep it clean and dry and just like you said we're going to put it in a bag that's going to keep it dry and clean then we're going to put that bag usually in another bag just for safety reasons but then the ice inside that bag or like i said these people had a cooler so they put the limb in a bag and a cooler full of ice well and then they wrapped it with like a towel and then put it in there we want it cold because we want to slow down that metabolic, you right, know, right, slow situation. Down the damage. We still want it cold. We just don't want it wet or frozen. Exactly. The other thing too is though is we don't want to wrap that with um, 
like gauze or anything like that. You want to just put it in a bag. Don't wrap it with anything because anything you wrap it with is going to get stuck to that tissue. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, kind of mixed in. With yeah, it so we don't want that sure. either. So just leave it how it is. Put it in a bag, and then like I so said, then we put it on ice. Um, and like I said that that's it. I mean, it's really like I said. Is I tell the story, and you're like, oh my gosh, like it's intimidating. What do I do? That's all you do, yeah. right? I mean, you, you protect the limb that way. You stabilize the patient with you know good bleeding control and supporting hemodynamics, and then you get them somewhere where they can potentially get this place put that put back on. Now. This was an interesting conversation I had with this uh, surgeon right after she flew out. I said to him, I said, what are the chances that this limb is actually going to like do well? And he's like, it's not good at all. He goes, the problem is, is she's a young 20 something female who this is her dominant hand. He's like, if we don't try, there will always be the question of why didn't we try? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll finish this conversation off talking a little about that reimplantation thing, because from what I've experienced and what I've seen, if I ever lose my arm, just throw it away. Like I would rather have a nub. <laughs> no, and, and 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 but seriously, because and I actually like have made a point of telling Lindsay this as well. Like, yeah. hey, just so you know, I don't like, want don't, my limbs back. Don't <laughs> go like find it. Some Let weird the bear have it. advanced directive <laughs> sure. I have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but the reason is, is that now it becomes the job of a vas- multiple surgeons, usually a vascular surgeon, uh, an orthopedic surgeon, to come in and reattach not only the tissue but the muscle and the nerves and the blood vessels, all this microscopic and and they can, and it's amazing. But especially in like a tearing injury like hers or a crush injury, the chances of you getting any good function back in that limb is really low. The other thing is, is that it takes more than one surgery. I mean, it probably putting your body through a lot. yeah, Yeah. You've got to go through multiple surgeries to get to the point where you finally get a not well functioning limb. You know what I mean? And yeah. the thing is too, is that you can have a lot of residual pain. I mean, you hear about these patients who have phantom pain in yeah. a limb that they no longer have that happens as well. So I've actually heard stories of people who have had limbs reattached and have had such problems with them that they've gone back and have them taken back off. Wow. They've literally, yeah, they've literally said like, Hey, like just amputate this it's thing. It's like a cosmetic thing. It's like, Hey, I, I want my arm back because it's my yeah, arm. Yeah. So, you know, it's nothing that this is, arm. this isn't going to change anything we do in an emergency situation or, in, or an EMS, but sometimes it is a little reassuring to know that the outcome of that limb going back on is probably not great anyway. So it, so focusing on the patient and making sure that patient is as stable as they can be and that you're saving their life is more important, obviously, but yeah. you know what I mean? More important than worrying too much about how, how are they going to get the, let somebody right. else figure out how the limb's going to get back on. Yeah, if it's yeah. going to get back on. Right. Our job is to stabilize that patient. And now I feel bad because I feel like we took this like really cool trauma situation and just made it as boring as it can be. Cause the management is so simple, right? Well, I, mean, I don't think it's boring. I think it's exciting. This is something that, you know, very basic providers can, can handle. Right. And I do think we have to train our on scene to realize like uh, there's going to be a point where you've done all that you can do like hey the food's going it's tourniqueted it seems like I should have a lot to do right now but I'm just going to kick back and we're on our way right yeah yeah exactly and it sounds like from what you're saying you heard it here first folks it it just doesn't matter because it's not going to work out (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean it that way I don't mean it that way there's plenty of successful surgeries where where limbs get reattached but again it's it's uh it's not super simple. It's yeah. not like, oh, yeah, we stitched it back on and you're good right. to go. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a lot of physical therapy, multiple surgeries, revisions, things like this. So yeah. that patient does have a long stretch of 
treatment to go through before they can ever get to a point where but it's um, the life-saving intervention that's exactly. the easiest and has great outcomes and that we can get involved with and exactly. that's what's so cool exactly so. exactly so cool you want to sign us out here uh sure i mean that that's uh what was our sponsor again Res- rapid rescue I'll do rapid it. rescue I'll yeah do it. go for rapid it rapid rescue so our sponsor <laughs> today was rapid rescue again we want to thank them for sponsoring us today check them out at rapidrescue.com. again they're doing some emt and paramedic refresher courses through jb learning uh if you need a refresher course check them out if you're enrolled in our prep program for the nremt we offer that uh as a complimentary part of our program as well if you need to take that refresher before you go take that exam again so again we hope that this uh was a interesting podcast for you hopefully we uh didn't take away all the glamour of amputations but again rest assured that what you do makes all the difference in the world when it comes to these extremely intimidating and overwhelming circumstances sometimes so thank you guys for what you do out there we appreciate you taking time for us and we will see you next week keep your life and your limbs safe stay sweet Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're an EMT or medic student or an advanced EMT student or an instructor of those students, we have a program just for you. With Sights and Sirens NREMT prep program, you get video lectures over 15 hours of really vetted, great content to help you through your program and help you prepare for the test. Check it out at www.sightsandsirens.com.